So today, uh, our culture seems to be obsessed, not obsessed, interested in, have a fancy for zombies. There's a lot of zombie movies going around, zombie shows. Uh, the Walking Dead uh, was super popular. And um, before that, uh, demon possession, demon possession movies about that uh, were common. They did a remake of The Exorcism a few years back. Um, the Exorcism in the 1970s, uh, The Shining. Um, but my favorite demon movie um, is, I don't know if you guys have seen Fallen with Denzel. Denzel's up there as far as my favorite actors. Um, in that movie, he plays a detective that uh, sees three murders and they're all the exact same except they were committed by three different people and it turns out as he's kind of uh, investigating this that it was three different people who were possessed by the same demon at different times and so he's tracking this demon down and it's super fascinating I'm not going to recommend it but if it's on TV you don't need to change the channel um, and Hollywood has kind of given this um, portrayal of demon possession, and the culture has kind of looked at it two different ways. Um, either, oh man, this is so real, or no, it's just Hollywood, it's just a story, it's not real at all. And Jesus, Scripture, kind of gives us a, a middle ground to land on uh, in this passage this morning. C.S. Lewis says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. I think that we, as a culture um, in America, the majority of us fall into the category that um, this isn't really real. You know, if you go over to Asia or to Africa, there seems to be, even South America, there seems to be more of a recognition of another realm, a spiritual realm, a demonic influence. And in America, um, we, we seem to be very quick to look to science, you know, um, oh, you're experiencing anxiety or depression, and that's just an internal thing, a chemical thing, and uh, we seem to turn to medication uh, quickly for these things. And I'm not saying that those chemical imbalances and some of those medications aren't necessary, but uh, we seem to fall into the category that uh, the spiritual realm, demon oppression, is less real than it actually is. Verse 28 says, When he had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him. As they came out of the tombs, they were so violent that no one could pass that way. 
Uh, this term, the other side, when he had come to the other side, Matthew uses it several times in his gospel. And um, it doesn't just mean to the other side of the lake, of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, when Matthew uses this term, every time it's coming from a Jewish region to a Gentile region. So the Gadarenes, um, the capital there is Gadara. Um, it's one of the 10 cities that make up the Decapolis. It's 10 city-states uh, in a highly Gentile region. And so this is the first time Jesus has entered into this region. Um, they traveled six miles southeast on the Sea of Galilee to get to these uh, city-states, this region, um, and it's just east of the Jordan River. And they're greeted by two demon-possessed men. Um, so the word possessed in the Greek, I'm going to botch this pronunciation, daimoneziami. Uh, and this word is translated possessed, oppressed, and demonized throughout Scripture. And the Greek word doesn't really give a distinction for any one of those. It's the same word. But there does seem to be different levels of possession, oppression, demonization that we see throughout Scripture. Um, in this case, this is possession, which is a condition in which one or more demons inhabit um, an animate object, such as a human, or later on in this passage, uh, pigs. Math Matthew records this, Mark records this, and Luke records this. In Mark's account, Jesus actually um, has dialogue with the demons. And we find out that their name, they call themselves Legion. Uh, Legion uh, could have referred to as many as 6,000 soldiers. And so we know that this is many demons that are inhabiting these two men. Uh, we see demons throughout scripture, we see demonic influence, we see evil beings. Uh, Revelation 12, 9, you guys don't have to turn there, I can read that for us. Verse 9 of Revelation 12 says, so the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, he was thrown to earth and his angels with him. So at some point, there was a rebellion in heaven, and Lucifer led that rebellion, and the angels that followed him uh, would be fallen angels, demons. Uh, the term fallen angels isn't anywhere in scripture, but the idea is angels that were created to be in heaven with God to worship and glorify him rebelled and were thrown out of heaven down to earth. We have these rebels against God, and they are dedicated to death and destruction. And I think it's so fitting that we see these demon-possessed men come out of the tombs where they were residing. These demons love the idea of destruction. Jesus says that Satan has been a murderer from the beginning. That's in John chapter 8. And these guys, the men who were possessed, were so 
violent and strong that no one could pass by. Their strength wasn't of a man. It wasn't of this world. But they were able to prevent people from passing. And we see that demons, uh, in this case, um, gave the men strength. We also find from, I believe it's Mark's account, that they were cutting themselves with uh, sharp stones. We see elsewhere in scripture that demons uh, inflict muteness, blindness, uh, epilepsy, convulsions. Um, There's a huge uh, gamut of damage they can do to humans spiritually, mentally, and physically. And so from three fronts, we're just bombarded with an attack from the enemy. Last week, uh, Zach touched on, you know, if, if there are things that cause fear in our lives from, uh, that prevent us from following Jesus What are those things? You know, would the disciples have gotten in the boat if they knew that the storm was going to happen? And those things are, you know, do we have internal fears of external things? And this week, we're looking at the external things that can attack us. The external things, the enemy, those that don't want to see us surrender to Jesus. We're going to see that... uh, These demons hate Jesus. And before we dive in, I just want to be clear that as we want to know how real this realm is, how real demonic activity is in this world, it doesn't mean that we should be looking for it. It doesn't mean that there's a demon behind every tree. Um, It doesn't mean that we should... uh, pursue it in the sense of um, movies or books or interests like that. Um, I think that there is an unhealthy level of that. Um, Sometimes you meet, I was in youth ministry for a long time, and you meet kids that have an absurd interest in the demonic realm, specifically demons, magic spells, and stuff like that. And I don't mean Harry Potter, I mean They go to pagan bookstores. They're into Wiccan uh, incantations and stuff like that. And so I think that there is a a healthy distance. We need to keep uh, ourselves from that. Verse 29, suddenly they shouted, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? The demons see Jesus. Jesus has never been to this region before, and they recognize him. They know who he is. He has a reputation among the enemy. And they say, have you come to torment us before the time? They recognize Jesus, and they recognize their fate. They know that they are going to be condemned, that they're going to be punished, that their fate is torture. Revelation 20, excuse me, have you guys ever read the end of a book before you uh, jump to the end of a book before you read the rest of it? I'm going to ruin the Bible for you and tell you how it ends. Revelation 20, verse 10, 
The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the demons recognize Jesus and they know that their fate isn't good. First John 3.8 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. A couple of times in scripture, um, Jesus calls those that oppose him uh, children of the devil. In one sense, everybody on earth is a child of God because they were created by him, but we know that children of God um, are those that have received him as Savior, that have faith in him. Um, so before that conversion, uh, we, in a sense, are children of the devil. We are his, under his rule and reign on this world, as he, you know, this is his domain when God cast him down to earth. Mark chapter 3, Jesus says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his possessions. Jesus is talking about the devil. Jesus comes to earth and the devil, this is the devil's house. The devil is a strong man. Jesus says, I've tied him up. I am the strongest one I came into his house, and I'm going to rob him. So with every conversion, every soul that we see converted to Christ, that person is being robbed from the devil. Jesus is claiming back his prize. We are his creation, and he is bringing us back, redeeming us back to himself, and the devil's do not like that. They hate that. They want to destroy him, but they can't. And so they will destroy as much of his property as possible. Uh, this past week in Christchurch, New Zealand, we saw um, a mass shooting at a mosque down there. I think it was 40, 50 people died. Um, and, you know, those were Muslims that were the victims of that crime. And we look at that and we, we recognize it as a tragedy. Uh, we recognize that that as a horrible thing for those people. Um, but they're, they're of a different faith. They're a different, um, they have a different belief system. Sometimes when those shootings happen, it seems like a lot of the time those are at churches, and we can kind of understand that. Oh, of course, you know, attack on the church, attack on the people of God, this makes sense. But when you see the devil and the people that don't belong to God destroy themselves, that's still a win for the devil. He loves destruction. He loves to destroy the things that God loves, and God loves people. And so as we continue to pray for those people, 
pray for the church, the Christians in Christ Church, that um, they would surround those people from the mosque, those Muslim communities, and that they would just love on them. You know, they'd be with them in this time of tragedy, that they'd be with them um, through this time of mourning, and that we would be reminded that, you know, we, um, as we see destruction, as we see um, just horrible things happen on this earth to non-Christians, that that should still strike sorrow in our hearts, because that's the devil. He wants to see those horrible things happen to humanity. He wants to see destruction thrive amongst God's creation. Verse 30 says, A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demon said, If you drive us out, they begged him, send us into the herd of pigs. Go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. So this is weird. Um, and I've heard this passage taught several different ways. And they just, um, the people teaching would give suggestions, you know, why pigs? Why did the devils want to go to the pigs? Oh, well, demons love to have a host. They need a host. And so they asked if they could be sent to the pigs, and they knew that pigs were unclean, and Jesus is a Jew, so that makes sense. And that's, maybe, maybe that makes sense. Nowhere does scripture tell us that demons like to have hosts, and nowhere does it tell us that Jesus hated pigs. Um, Maybe they wanted to be cast into the pigs and not into the abyss. They wanted to continue to reside on earth and not be sent to the lake of fire. And that's another possibility. But if we look at what happens to the people, the people of this region, as we continue down this, I think that the demons knew what the um, response would be to the pigs dying. Demons want destruction. They asked to enter the pigs because they know what it would accomplish. We're going to jump back to Isaiah 65, uh, referring to Jesus. I was sought by those who did not ask. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that did not call on my name. I spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the path that is not good, following their own thoughts. These people continually anger me to my face, sacrificing in gardens, burning incense on bricks, sitting among the graves, spending nights in secret places, eating the meat of pigs and putting polluted broth in their bowls. They say, keep to yourself. Don't come near me, for I am too holy for you. The people are not Jewish. The people do not want Jesus 
in their region. Verse 33 says, Then the men who tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So the herdsmen, they go into the city, and they tell everyone what happened, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. Now these men, the demon-possessed men, uh, seems that they were there for a while. They had a reputation in the city. And when the herdsmen relayed that message, hey, those men, they are no longer demon-possessed. They are freed. The demons were cast into the pigs, and the pigs killed themselves, rushed into the ocean, and perished. And the people come down and tell Jesus to leave. They, you know, for them, the pigs were a source of income. I think one of the other gospel accounts says that there were about 2,000 pigs. And the people were upset that their income had been lost. They would rather live in the presence of demons and make profit rather than having their land clear of demonic influence and make less money, lose money. They were possessed by their commerce. Because the demonic realm will do whatever it can to get people to beg Jesus to leave. I think that's why the demons wanted to be cast into the herd of pigs. They knew what the people were in love with, and that was money. The pigs were a priority to the people, and that priority was above Jesus. And what's weird about this whole story is the demons ask Jesus, can we be cast into the pigs? And Jesus says, yes. Why did he concede? Why did he say that's okay? Why did he say, yes, destroy the pigs? And I'm going to guess that Jesus probably knew he would be rejected. So they're in the Decapolis, and Mark's account, as the people reject Jesus, they get, they're getting back into the boat to leave the region. And one of the demon-possessed men starts to climb into the boat with Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. You just saved me from demonic influence. You are Lord. You are Son of God. I want to be with you. And Jesus tells him, no, you're going to stay here. You're going to stay here, and I want you to tell everybody in the region what I've done for you. The heart of Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee, coming to the region of the Gadarenes, he saved two people that day and left. And the whole region rejected him. But the next time we see Jesus enter this region, it says that he's met with crowds. People are waiting for him. They can't wait to meet Jesus. Um, the feeding of the 4,000 takes place in this region. 
And even though the demons knew if they destroyed the pigs, Jesus might be rejected, Jesus knew what needed to be destroyed for there to be fruit in the future. Jesus knew that to accomplish much, something had to be sacrificed. Jesus has tied up the strong man. And if we look at our own lives, maybe there's something that our hearts are possessed by. Maybe there's something that we have given priority over Jesus to. Jesus knows what needs to be removed, what needs to be destroyed in your life, in my life, for fruit to come around. In this season, as you see our little posters around the room, this is the season of Lent, and a lot of people give up something for 40 days, you know, to, it's like a, a form of fasting in the sense of you're giving up something to replace that with uh, something else to draw you closer to the Lord. So most of the time we see fasting is replaced with prayer, you know, as that hunger comes uh, up in us, we're reminded to rely on the Lord, to pray, spend that time in prayer. And during this season, you know, maybe God's pressing into your heart something that needs to be let go of, something that needs to be put aside, something that needs to be destroyed in your heart and in your life so that he could bear more fruit. And um, I love the song that reminds me that I am prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, because I do love God, and I want to glorify him with my life. Um, but if I'm serious with myself, I know that I also love other things, and I gravitate towards other things, and I am weak, and that I am a sinner and I will replace God in my life with things. And so challenge myself to pray and assess and have the Lord reveal to me if there's something that, you know, I'm holding above him. Something that, you know, maybe uh, I'm not possessed by demons, maybe I'm not even uh, oppressed by demons, but there's definitely demonic suggestions in my life. There's definitely things that are laid in front of me to entice me, to tempt me, to distract me. And the truth is, Jesus has tied up the devil, and I can be delivered with one word. Jesus tells the demons to go. And whatever is in our lives, whatever is holding us back, whatever is binding us, distracting us, that can be gone in one word. And so this morning, as we will spend some time in worship, in response, as we take communion, um, you know, maybe take the first moments of worship 
to just listen to the Lord, to respond to Scripture this morning in your own heart, to realize that we, each one of us, um, can take a step back and look at our own lives and pray that God would show us what is it that's holding me back? What is it that is separating me from you? Every single time that I've done this in the history of my life, uh, God's never said, eh, nothing. No, he never says, like, you're doing good. Like, there's always something. There's always something that is either starting to creep in or like I've been hiding from my eyes and just kind of going along with life. And so um, I imagine, you know, I'm guessing some of you are uh, better Christians than me because it's not that hard to do, but I'm guessing that there's probably something in each one of our lives that needs to be given over. What possesses us? What is the devil happy to see in our lives? What form of destruction is it causing in our hearts, in our walk with the Lord? God, thanks for this morning. And um, I thank you that you know our hearts and as influential as the enemy can be in our lives and in our city, in our homes, um, or in our thoughts, I know that you uh, are stronger, that you are the strongest one, and that you don't lose to the enemy. So God, I confess this morning that um, my heart can wander, my heart can leave you. And God, I pray that as a church this morning, we would confess together that we um, can be weak, that we can be distracted, that our eyes can drift away from you and your glory. So God, I pray in the next few moments of communion, the next few moments of worship, that you would be pressing into our hearts, that you'd be speaking loudly into our minds and our hearts, and that we would hear you, that we would obey you, that we would love you, that we would respond to you. As we head up to this season of Easter, Lord, that you would open up our eyes wider and wider to the things that your resurrection has defeated, that your victory has won us over from these things. And that when Easter comes, that we'd be able to celebrate even more. That we would just have a, a better understanding of your sacrifice for us. And that we would know a little bit more of how much grace cost. And that would just steer our lives, motivate us to live our lives in a way that glorifies you. God, we thank you for this morning, and in the next few moments, I pray that you would just uh, hear our cry.
You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.